I have missed you more than you possibly could know. I love you too. Always have, always will. And I'm honored to come back um, uh, and visit during this season where you're searching for your next pastor. And I want you to know that uh, this old guy will be praying for you from Mount Nebo as you find your Joshua to lead you into the promised land. But before I <laughs> give into my temptation, which is to run down in this room and hug everybody I see and, and, and hunt you down wherever you're worshiping from and hug you, uh, let us just pick up where we left off. Let's just listen to Jesus together. This scripture in John 16 is a wonderful um, admonition of how we go through difficult times, how we resist temptation, what we shouldn't do and what we should do. And so let's just put up John 16 uh, through 18 and, and, and we'll start there. Jesus went on to say, in a little while, now I want to I just say this is such an important phrase to Jesus because he uses it seven times in four verses. In a little while. In a little while. You will see me no more. And then after a little while. After a little while. This is the essence of the message. How do we live in that little while when we can't see Jesus directly? When it seems empty, how do we live during that time? After a little while, you will see me. You will see me. Now watch. I want to tell you two things here. First of all, everybody wants to just plan out their whole future and see how it should go and then make a plan according to how it should go, according to what they're working toward. That's not how life works. Have you learned that yet? Yeah, yeah, I hope so, because it, 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 you'll be very frustrated. Scripture says in um, Proverbs 16, 9, that man makes his plans, but the Lord orders what? His steps. You see, life is lived in steps. Life is lived in little whiles. When we go someplace, Becky's my navigator, and if I don't know where I'm going, I, she pulls out the, her, you know, and gets on Google Maps or whatever she does. And she sa I say, where are we going? And she'll say, okay, go down here 300 feet, make a right. Then you'll go three blocks, make a left. Then you'll go three miles, three and a half miles, and, and you get off on 419. And then you'll go, and I said, wait, 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 wait. Just where do we go next? Just give me what I'm looking for next. Now, I do that for a couple of reasons. First of all, I haven't got the capacity to hold all of those directions in my mind. And second of all, I don't want to get frustrated trying to remember things that I know I can't remember. Do you understand that God doesn't give you the whole plan? As a matter of fact, it says in John 16, 12, just before these verses, there's lots more I would have told you, but you cannot bear it now. In other words, either we don't have the capacity or we couldn't, we haven't got to, you know, it's like that old movie. You want the truth? You can't handle the truth. And so 
God gives us little sections to live in. Now, here's the problem. There is this meantime, and that's what it turns out to be, between the time that we see and, 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 and the time that we, that we will see again. Between the time in a little while you will not see, that's the meantime, when you don't know exactly where we're going. You don't know exactly what's happening. You don't know exactly why we're living through this. What do you do with that? And by the way, there are two Greek words here. There's two types of seeing. One is observation, just what you see physically. You know, you know I see, I see that. The other one is comprehension or understanding. I see. The first one is, in a little while, you will see me no more. You'll look out there with your eyes, and physically you can't see what's going on. You can't make out what's going on. But there will come a day when you will say, I see. I see why that was. I see why I've been through what I have been through. I get this now. What do we do in the meantime? Well, I got to tell you, we don't wait very well. Yeah, is that, we don't wait very well. As a matter of fact, nature hates a vacuum. So do our minds. So we start filling it in with stuff that's not from God. Put that, put that original scripture back up um, and go to uh, 17 and 18 or 18 and 19 or something. I just, what, what does it say? Okay, it says, it says you will see me because I'm going to the Father. They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Actually, go back one verse. Go back one verse. It says, at this, some of his disciples said to one another. Now, Jesus is standing right there. And they start conferring with one another. What do you think it means? I don't know. What do you think it means? They start searching for answers that none of them have. Only God knows. And that's where we fall down. We want our own knowledge. We don't want to have to wait for God. We don't want to have to depend upon God. This is the original sin, you understand. When Eve saw that the fruit was desirable to make one wise. If I eat that, I'll have my own knowledge. I won't have to depend on God. She took and ate and gave it to her husband. Yes, dear. And he ate too. Oh, my goodness. And it formed a pattern in Scripture. It formed a pattern. When God promised Sarah a son, the son didn't come right away. And Sarah got impatient. And Sarah said, I'll fill in the blanks. Hagar, you go into my husband. And Abraham said, yes, dear. And he participated in running ahead of God with such consequences that the children 
of Isaac and the children of Ishmael are still at war today because they ran ahead of God. They couldn't stand not knowing. What happened? When Moses went up on the mountain and he was delayed. Exodus 32. We don't see Moses anymore. There's, there, there, we haven't seen him in a while. It's been a while since we've seen him. I tell you what, Aaron, make us a God. We, we got to fill in the gap here. We got to get some answers. We got to get some direction. What happened? When Job went through what he went through, I, I agree, 2020 has been a trashy year, but you got to put it something in perspective here. You know, Job was 2020 personified. Everything was taken away from Job. And Job was satisfied to wait on the Lord, but his friends weren't. They asked one another, what do you think the deal is? And they came to Job to explain what the deal is. And they came up with all kinds of logical, theological sounding explanations. And they were especially attractive because there was somebody to blame. We always look for explanations with somebody to blame. But there was a problem. They had no idea what was happening in the heavenlies, in the principalities and powers. They had no idea this was part of God's plan. And what they were saying wasn't true. But they kept on conferring with one another and explaining their theories until God out of the whirlwind, Job 38 says. And when God speaks to you out of the storm, hold on to your toupee because everything artificial is going to be blown away. Who is this that obscures my counsel? Hebrew word here is etah, my plans. Who is this that obscures my plans by words without knowledge? Now, why do I tell you this? Because we do the same thing. Whenever we don't know something, we start to look for explanations on the web. I'll Google it. I'll figure out what's happening. I'll go to the dark parts of the web and I'll, give, I'll, I'll listen to people who have theories about this that will fill in the vacuum, you know? And, and, and I'm especially attractive to these mysterious bits of knowledge that don't come from scripture. They come from political theory. QAnon and all of the rest of the, of the, of the conspiratorial, oh, I, I like that. I, I'll buy into that. There's a problem. It didn't come from God. And it's not just bad information. We're not just giving ourselves incremental lobotomies. We are practicing idolatry because we are going to those sources instead of God. And whenever we are listening to people 
who don't know, we are not listening to the God who does know. Whenever we are rushing to people who say they have an answer, we are not waiting upon the Lord who has the only answer that is really true and the only explanation that will tell us why. So here's what not to do. What not to do is keep asking one another for knowledge one another don't have. No. Then it goes on to say, it goes on to say in, in John 16, 25, put John 16, 25. I have been speaking figuratively. A time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my father. Now in scripture, there are three types of understanding. The literal, the figuratively, the figurative, and the eternal. The literal, the figurative, the literal is what, what we see right there. It's just, is happening. The figurative are like parables, Jesus' parables. Preachers love to preach on Jesus' parables. You know why? Because you can't get them wrong. Every interpretation, <laughs> it's figurative language, so every interpretation you have, <clears throat> excuse me, is true. And, and, and it's wonderful because it's kind of this universal experience all of us have. And if you haven't had it, you have a friend who has had it. So the figurative language is wonderful. The problem with the literal and the figurative language is that they are limited. They are limited. The, the Bible says in, in, in um, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 12, for now we know in part... But then, talking about when we die, or, or maybe some instances before we die with eternal truth, but then we will know fully, even as we've been fully known. You will know someday why. You will know someday God's perfect plan for your life and how he used you more powerfully than you ever saw while you lived. You will know someday. But until that day, we see in a mirror dimly, then face to face. Until that day, we know in part. Until that day, we have to practice. We have to decide. Watch this. We have to decide, it says in, in um, um, well, that's not it. Where is it? Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians 14. Thick to fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. What is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. How in this little while that we're living, in these segments that we have, can we keep looking to God? How can we keep our focus on Him Asking for his truth. That's the question. And the answer is, we have to realize that while we're going through what we're going through, it is all a part of God's grand eternal plan. Your life isn't just 
here today and gone tomorrow. Your life is a part of a plan of eternity, and there's eternal truth in what you're living. Remember when Jesus in um, 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 Luke chapter 24, it was, it was when he joined the two going to amazement after his resurrection. And he joined these two walking along. They'd had a pretty rough day. They looked downcast, the Bible said, because their hopes were dashed. Are you living in a time when your hopes have been dashed or at least badly dented? Do you know somebody who's going through a very difficult time because they thought life would be different than it is? It didn't match the plan they had in their head. That's who he joined. That's who he still joins. And he said, why are you so downcast? And he started talking about this Jesus, you know, who we had hoped. Those are some of the saddest words in all the world. We had hoped. And so the Bible says that, and let me, let me read this word for word. I love this. The Bible says that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, all these scriptures were written before he lived. But they were all concerning himself. He could have started even before Moses. This was a long lecture as it was. He could have started before Moses. He could have said, remember when you know, Abel had his sacrifice accepted by God. Do you know why? Because it was a blood sacrifice. It was a foreshadowing of a day when the blood would sacrifice and be accepted by God for us all. He could have gone on from there and said, remember when Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son whom he loved in order to honor God. That was about me. Remember, and he could have gone on and on. Let's, let's go to Moses' time. Let's, it, remember at the Exodus where there was blood from a lamb on a doorpost. And wherever that blood was, death couldn't visit. That wasn't about just freedom. For the Hebrews, that was about freedom for us all. That was about me. Remember the sacrifices in the temple every year of a spotless lamb. Remember when they got that goat every year and they'd transfer spiritually all of their sins on that goat. And they'd swat him and he'd go out into the desert so that their sins figuratively went as far as the east is from the west and they never saw their sins again. That was called a scapegoat. That's about me. I carried your sins on that cross. That was about all of us. Remember during the period of the judges where the people would keep falling away and I would send a judge I would send Samson and Gideon and Deborah 
to bring them back, even though I knew they'd fall away again. That was about the good shepherd that goes after the lost sheep. That was about me. That was about us. Remember Esther, who was willing to go before all of the powers of the world with this phrase, if I die, I die. But was willing to do whatever it took to save her people. That was about me. Do you understand that what we're living through is not just about us? There is this eternal truth in our experience, in our everyday, that counts more than we could ever imagine. There is an eternal truth. And so we don't just face this little while as if this is all that counts. We face it in faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. In faith for the future, that God's going to make something out of this, that God's going to do some good, that's going to, going to, God's going to have some good in all circumstances for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Somebody once said, you don't hug your children because you need a hug. You hug your children because you want them to hug their children. This is not just about what's happening in front of us. This is about what God is doing. This isn't just about what's happening in our country. This is about what God has for the world and for the kingdom. And I know that some of us get discouraged. I know that. I know some of us are going through some real rough times. But I want you to have confidence. I want you to trust God and not lean on your own understanding. I want us all to be able to repent of trying to manage or control life. You know, when you get older, every once in a while I'm going to pull out the old card on you because you're getting old. And you learn some stuff. And you become well satisfied in not having to know everything. As a matter of fact, the older you get, the more you realize how much you don't know. And you're glad that you don't because that means you're responsible for it. And God is. That's what you're really glad of. One of the great things about this season of life is Becky and I can go to more than one church. And one church we go to is a little, home, little house church we have. And we worship every week with Pastor Vernon and Tim and, and, and uh, you know, Chad Turnbull. And, and our, our default pastor is uh, Pastor Reggie White. Yeah, he's preached here before. A wonderful young man. Well, he's, everybody, everybody's a young man to me anymore. Anyhow, he, he, we were going through this passage in Exodus where, where People thought that to be free would mean life would get better. And they're wandering in the wilderness and life ain't getting better. And in Exodus 17, 7, it says, is God with us or not? Because they, they decided, they, were, they, were, they had in their mind, if God was with us, life would be going better right now. Is that what the Bible says? 
Pastor White said this. He prayed this at the end, a profound prayer. God, forgive us for presuming we know how our lives should go. Boy, I love that prayer. God, forgive us for presuming to know how our lives should go. Well, I get it. I'm, I'm, I'm running late already, and I apologize to everybody. Uh, let, me, let me get to the last point. What we should be doing. What I, what I believe we should be doing. You can take it or leave it, but it is just a old, old, an old friend's advice, counsel, how to look to God. It says in John 16, this is the last verse. I've told you these things. It says, so that in me you may have peace. You don't have peace in the circumstances. You don't have peace in the strategy. You don't have peace in the right alignment of power. In me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. This is a mean place. But what do we do in the meanwhile? Take heart. I've overcome the world. Let me tell you what I do. And then I close this out. I have one simple rule. I, I've, I've given up strategies and pretending I know what I don't know, pretending I'm smarter than I am. I live my whole life with one strategy. I want to love God by loving my neighbor as I love myself. It's real simple. It's the great commandment. I want to love God by loving my neighbor as I love myself. Who do I hang around? People who help me love God by loving my neighbor as I love myself. What kinds of stuff do I watch? Stuff that helps me love God by loving my neighbor as I love myself. And that means in a little while, in this time. What do I listen to? What, how do I learn? How do I vote? For anybody who will help me love God by loving my neighbor as I love myself. It's no part, there's no party, there's no strategy, because I know this. There's only one thing that's gonna fix the world. I, I can I can hear the voices right now. Oh, all our problems, and that's gonna fix everything. Is that what you're saying? All you have to do is love God and love your neighbors, you love yourself, and that's gonna fix everything. Is that what you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. Eventually, incrementally, that's the only thing that will fix this world. Governments can't do it. Corporations can't do it. Power blocks and movements can't do it. Only us deciding God knows what he's doing and we're going to follow him and we're going to wait for him and we're going to listen to him. Let me tell you a story. I have a brother-in-law who I love dearly. I've loved this boy since he was in my youth group 40-some years ago. He's in the end of the battle with pancreatic cancer. And I don't know of anybody who is more at peace than he is. His whole attitude is, God wants to heal me, he can heal me. I was, I was never my own. I was always his. It's whatever he wants, I'm in. But I got to tell you, this is a terrible disease. 
Here's a pastor who had the whole world. I mean, he was the senior pastor of one of the top largest, top 10 largest United Methodist churches in the country a year ago. And he got this thing and it wrecked him. And he had to resign and be separated from the people he loved. And he had to go through this awful physical ordeal. He's still going through it. And one of the stories he tells is he, he, he went into the hospital and all these chemicals were going in him. And he, he didn't know how, you know, so he felt like he was laying in bed and he had to go to the bathroom. And there was this nurse who was the kindest, most compassionate person. She was so attentive and so loving. But he didn't want to bother her. So he thought he'd get up and go to the bathroom by himself. Well, he made it about halfway across the room. And he messed the floor, he messed his gown, he messed himself, he messed everything. And she kept, she came running in and he turned to her and said, I'm so sorry. She said, honey, don't you be sorry. This is what I do. This is my privilege. I'm so glad. And she's wiping him down. You know, now, now here's a man who's just, just had all dignity, all modesty stripped away. Everything that people could offer, it's gone. He's just there. And I'm thinking in his mind, he's got to be somehow making this less personal in his mind. That's what I'd be doing. I'd be, I'd be thinking, well, she doesn't really know me, and, and I'm just a patient, and this is just a mess, and she does this a thousand times a day, and she'll have a thousand patients to come. And so, therefore, I don't need to be embarrassed because I'm just kind of a piece of meat. He had almost gotten to the place <laughs> where he could say, this is all mechanical, this is all chance, this is all circumstance, until she said five words. You know, she said, you baptized me. Don't ever think that your life doesn't count. Don't ever think you've been lost in the mix. Every time you've loved God or helped someone else love God, every time you've loved your neighbor as you love yourself, it counts. And it will count for an eternity. And maybe you won't hear it personally very often, but whether you hear it or not, you can know you have changed the world because you've trusted God. Pray with me. God, help us to trust you more and more. Help us to love you more and more. And for those who may be listening right now who have never trusted you for the forgiveness of their sins, Help them to do that right now. Help them to say, Jesus, I know when you died on that cross, you paid for my sins too. 
I want to accept that gift. And I want you to come in and live my life and love others through me. For those of us who said that prayer a long time ago, help us to re-up and to double down. Help us, Lord. Apply these words from your scripture to our mind that we might not grow shallow and to our hearts that we might not grow cold and to our feet that we might be doers of the word and not hearers only. Amen.